It is time to get this party started. Welcome back to Lit for Christmas, the podcast where the books are full of Christmas spirits and so are the hosts. Join Marty and Amanda as they drink their way through the great and not so great works of Christmas literature. The fireplace is lit, the tree is lit, the hosts are lit. Grab a glass of something holly and jolly and join us as we get lit for Christmas again. We we are back. (laughs) We are uh, for our off-delayed spooky season lit for Christmas party. I'm Amanda. And I'm Marty. And yes... Amanda and I are seeing dead people this month. Um, well, <laughs> last month, this month, um, thanks to a couple bottles of white wine and the author James Joyce, we are conjuring up some Christmas spirits. You know, and I'm a little more frightened of how I'm going to feel tomorrow morning <laughs> than any dead person that may show up tonight. I'm just, well, just going to put that out there. I, I, I agree. You know, our livers are probably more frightened <laughs> about this than we are. That I will admit that I'm yeah. already on my third glass of wine. Oh. So. <laughs> You're ahead of me. Um, okay. So, so Marty, before we head to the Emerald Isle again for some Irish Christmas lit, mm. Mm-hmm. my favorite kind i know i, I want to hear what's going on oh. with you in your neck of the woods so how's how's life in in the oop what's happening in, in the oop yeah in the oop in the oop in the oop <laughs> wait i need another i need another sip of wine before i go into this um no well no. well you know i mean so many of the people who are listening to this podcast, and Amanda knows this as well, but my mother passed um, since the last uh, time we recorded. She passed about a week and a half ago. So I've been I've been uh, dealing with the craziness that sets in when you're dealing with the death of a of a close family member. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, and here's the thing that I've learned, and I and in some ways I think it sort of plays out in in the book. Well, I don't know if it's a short story. They call it a short story. I think it's longer than a short story. It's a novella, I think. Yes, I would agree with you there. Yes. Yeah, but it's sort of, you know, the the, the sort of weirdness of how people interact and deal with, um, like, serious things in their life. I mean, I've been telling people this. Funerals bring out the best in people and the worst in people. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, and uh, especially in family members, you know, um, you're already in a, you know, a highly kind of emotional state. And then when you get together, all of those things that uh, have happened or are still happening between family members and friends and stuff like that, it sort of gets whipped up so that you're like one huge, like, margarita that's <laughs> boiling over <laughs> something. <laughs> You know, and um, and so yeah, that's that's sort of what I've been been dealing with the the kind of strangeness of planning my mother's funeral and you know arranging food and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for listeners. This is not probably what you you like to you want laughing. I'm... Uh, you know, but sometimes when people get drunk, 
they get serious and sad too. So <laughs> yes, and that's that is the um, the risk of doing a podcast. Pat, pat, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I I don't want to dwell on it that much. I'm sure I'll I'll talk about it some more later in the podcast and that. But you know, um, you know, my mother had a very good long life. I mean, she was she was ninety some years old, and um, you know, she raised nine kids which is kind of an amazing I thing. Even, <laughs> I mean, you got saint. three, you got three. She's a saint. I, I know, I know. I know. And, and, you know, considering my brothers and sisters, she's more than a saint. She should probably, <laughs> she should probably be like the fourth person in the Trinity, for God's sake. And, and, um, and uh, you know, and uh, she was, she was truly a, a wonderful, wonderful woman, strong woman. Who, um, my sister has Down syndrome, and and uh, when she had my sister Rose, there was none of these laws that were in place that guaranteed that Rose would be given special education classes and, mm-hmm. and guaranteed that kind of support in an educational system. And my mom fought um, her whole life for Rose yeah. and for everything that um, she got for Rose. So she was um, a remarkable lady. Um, you know, when when she walked into a um, when she walked into school rooms, you know, yeah. um, the teachers sort of were afraid of her because they <laughs> knew that if they weren't doing what was right, my mom was going to be all over them and all over the principal and all over the school board, and, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, she, she um, was an advocate for all kids with special needs. Um, and even like to the point where she flew to Lansing for things. Yeah. Um, so. She was just a, a really remarkable lady. And, um, you know, I'm going to miss her a great deal. Um, but, um, you know, I have to believe that she's in a better place, you know. And, um, and my, my, my family members are dispersing, thank God. And, um, <laughs> and um, you know, we'll, we'll get together at Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, um, you know, and... Yep. You know, it'll be it'll be a strange holiday season, but um, yeah, of course it will. But uh, you know, I can look back at the events, which I'm not going to get into, because you know I have to respect my my family's um, privacy as well. You know, me, yeah. I'm like an open book. I, I mean, I don't, I don't. If I, <laughs> if I if I did something stupid at the funeral, if I like threw up on something, I would tell you I didn't do that. Um, but. Um, yeah, I have to respect their privacy, but, um, you know, like I said, um, those, those kinds of situations just bring out craziness in so many different ways. It's one. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I am fortunate in that my parents are living Mm -hmm. and I haven't had to experience that yet. Um, but as a, uh, trained divorce attorney, I can say that, Mm -hmm. The two times in life where people literally lose their minds mm-hmm. is usually the death of a close family member or divorce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those, I try to give people a lot of latitude in those situations. Yeah. It, you it, know, when, when everybody has like a, has their own processes of, yeah. of, 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 of dealing with grief. Some of them are healthier than others you yeah. know and um and some yeah, people you, can't can't deal with it at all well and that's it and, and they replace the, the, you know they use other 
they do things like drink an entire bottle of white wine and yes you know (laughs) (laughs) yes yes Uh, not that that. uh, we don't endorse that no coping mechanism you know alcohol is not a good coping mechanism but tonight in this podcast, we are going to talk about the drunk narrative. So that's, yes, that's an important that, thing. That, you know, it's all, it all sort of is perfect for, yeah, for it. it. So, so yeah, that's what's going on in my sad life. And I'm um, sorry. yeah, no, that, you know, um, I, I, now I've reached this stage where I'm, I'm thinking of uh, how my mom used to make me laugh and, and the fact yeah, that yeah. She, she taught me so much um, stuff about, I mean, in in her own way she taught me about uh, poetry and literature she was a lifelong reader she's the one who sort of instilled that in me I, you know I guess I can almost credit her for the fact that we're doing a podcast like this and she yeah. would love she would love this podcast um she would absolutely love it so um <laughs> so yeah that's what's going on in my life what's what's happening with you I mean <laughs> oh, yeah but top no. that no 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 nothing nothing um, nothing of that nature is happening with me right now. Um, how, how, how was Halloween? Halloween was, you know, cause this was meant to be kind of like our Halloween episode. Yeah, and I know yeah. I apologize to any listeners out there. Um, well, well, but you know, as you can see, life happens and yeah, so, this, and we, this has not been an easy, uh, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and like this whole year has been god awful in many ways but mm-hmm. halloween actually was was pretty awesome at my house mm-hmm. um and you know we're still we're still like super safety minded about yeah. crowds and all that kind of thing so i didn't take the kids trick or treating but that would have been much easier than what i did do oh, which Lord. was i, I <laughs> concocted I concocted a like 10 clue based spooky scavenger hunt with a whole story involved of the hundred year curse um, mm. of the house wow. where we live and how zombies were going to rise up from the dead. And so you scared the crap. Out I of scared the kids. crap out of my little kids, but they loved it so much. I had like <laughs> fake zombies like attached to the side of the house. Oh. I dressed up as like a a mombie. <laughs> a mombie. <laughs> and like and came to the door and I read the letter to them and do you accept this challenge to break the curse? And they're all like, "Yay!" you know. And we took off and we went around to all these we have um about 4 acres mm. here and half of it is wooded so I, we had like I had like candle lit paths to these different stations and at one point they had to go into my garden and like dig up a grave and find and find like a little little skeleton in there and I had all these check this out Marty you would appreciate this this detail (laughs) I actually had had each of these little clues and I printed them out on this kind of old-timey looking paper and I like ripped the edges and I had one of those really okay this is how much of a dork I am I have one of those like red wax seals that you oh, light nice. and then you drip and then you yeah, have yeah, your yeah. little insignia stamp, that you stamp. stamp. Yeah. I did that to all of them so everything like they had to open up little wax seals wow. on everything but the funniest part of it was that there is a little it's like a little small maybe like two foot long um 
skeleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his name is Boner. And that's his name. Is, wait, wait. His name is what? <laughs> Boner. Okay. <laughs> I'm. I'm just leaving. That I know. I know. There. But I have a video of my eight-year-old son, like dressed up for Halloween with a shovel, digging up a miniature grave in my garden, and him turning and looking at me and screaming and going, "It's Boner!" Because <laughs> I buried Boner for. That's that's um that's classic. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's something you, you see awesome. for his wedding video or I something. I know, you right? Know? Yeah, like his graduation <laughs> video. Yeah, like exactly. This little kid, it's boner, and it was it was <laughs> so funny. But they had a good time. I was completely exhausted because I spent the whole day doing it. But that's you know. that. How long did it take you to plan stuff that like that? Plan that out. Um, I started ordering things from Amazon like three days. Wow. In advance because I wasn't going to do it. I did one similar last year, mm-hmm. um, different theme, but like similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this year I wasn't going to do it. Cause like, I'm tired. <laughs> and you did it. And I did it. I was like guilted into doing it. And so, you know, but your I did kids it. Are, your kids are going to remember how cool that will was. They? I think they will. They're young. Like they're probably not going to remember any of it, but I no, thought it was cool. No, they they'll remember that. I I'm sure cool. they will. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we we took we went we went trick or treating. My son created his own costume and I dressed up as I I wore my twerking Bigfoot outfit and we um <laughs> and and we went we went trick or treating around our neighborhood and uh it was it was a good, you know, it was a typical kind of UP Halloween. Which yeah. was like um, uh, cold, where the where where, where the temperature is rain, right snow. right what well, is right between like almost rain and almost snow, and the wind is blowing a little bit. Yeah, I don't think I ever experienced a Halloween growing up in the UP that didn't involve like wearing a winter jacket over your costume, so it completely voided any like yeah. effort that you put into it. I yes, was walking around in my Bigfoot outfit with underwear, just underwear and t-shirt because that thing is so <laughs> freaking hot that I, that's, that's what I had to do. It was, um, it was hot. Like my kids. You're just like yeah. my kids, underwear and a t-shirt. Well, All they it, ever wear. It was like wearing a freaking mink bodysuit or something like that. It was so, yeah, but uh, so I was okay, sweating. Wait. Marty, have you ever seen a movie called Fur? No. It had, I think it had Nicole Kidman in it. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> I think it has Robert Downey Jr. in it. If I'm remembering, I could be completely insane right now, but I'm pretty sure it's called Fur. I'm pretty sure it has Nicole Kidman and Robert Downey Jr. And he like continuously grows hair over his entire body. And there's multiple scenes of him like shaving multiple parts of his body that's it it's weird that go watch i'm gonna have to check that one out um i I, i'm not sure if you're telling me i just like poured the last of my bottle of wine into my glass you need more i i i'm i'm gonna be totally like useless pretty soon sorry that was a weird that is such a weird concept for a movie yeah it was 
I remember, and it was years, it came out quite a few years ago. And I remember I was watching it and, and it was at like a, we were at like a family thing and we we're watching it. And my husband's aunt walked into the room, stopped, looked at the screen for like maybe two minutes, three minutes, stood up, said, this is too weird for me and walked out. <laughs> Just your description of it. I mean... Um, I, you know what? I got to Google this to make sure that you're telling me the I'm truth. T- I'm telling I'm, you I'm, the truth. I'm, I'm checking right now. Oh Let's see. Oh my God. You're going to have okay. to edit this part because people no, are I'm like, not. what? These no, people I'm are pulling out their phones and like fact checking? With during... Robert Downey. I think it's Robert Downey Jr. Just put okay, fur just a second. film. Okay, here we go. Fur, <laughs> an imaginary portrait of Diane Arbus. Oh Ours Nicole God. Kidman is the iconic Kidman, Robert American Downey photographer. Jr. Yes, see, my brain does work. I am. Ty not. Burrell was in it from fam, uh, from a uh, what's that show? Modern Family. Ty Burrell, Jane Alexander. <clears throat> wow. Okay, well, you know, it's a it's a legit movie. People, she's yeah. not she's not like drunk and uh, just imagining a movie. Um, and there's so there all you kinds, go. It's all kinds of weirdness with you're you're learning hairy, things, hairy furry things, hairy furry things. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Lots of wow. sheathing. <laughs> if you're into that. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently, you know apparently what? I am, but my aunt is not. <laughs> well, whatever. She thinks it's weird. You know, <laughs> it happens. Okay. It happens. Oh God! Don't get me started. I could. Have you ever seen Little Otik? Oh, you have to watch that too. So okay, don't start telling I'm me sorry. all the weird movies. I won't. Oh, no. but you won't look at a stump the same way after watching that film. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We couldn't just leave it at, you got to watch this movie. You'll never look at a stump the same way, which leaves it so much to the imagination. Watch Little Otik. Is it O T I K? Yeah, I think so. it's yeah, it's a foreign film. It's I forget what it's Scandinavian or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, I won't even go into it. People just uh, Google it and watch it. It's yeah. So it's, bizarre, but it will like just we, we will burn. share it. Will sear into your memory we, for the we, rest we will of your days. We're gonna save that one for another podcast. Let I'm me sorry. tell you. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should start another podcast called the Otik Podcast <laughs> or something like that. We'll just watch one minute of the film and then talk about it for two hours. Watch another minute, talk about it for two hours, and in five years' time, we'll be done with it. You know, God. All I can say is cabbages. There are beautiful cabbages in that film. All right, so Marty, okay, I'm into my second glass of wine now. So I think it's time for us to get into the reason why oh, we are God. imbibing in a little bit of white grape juice. <laughs> Do we dare call it Jesus juice? I don't know. Like we we can, no, we prob- probably not. Well, <laughs> probably not. All the things that I Jesus have done this past juice. week are going to send me to hell anyway, <laughs> my family. So let's let's not tempt okay. that again. All right. Okay, all right. No Jesus juice. All right, so... In honor of October and Halloween, even though we're in November and Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. you know, Amanda and I are talking, uh, are, are talking about James Joyce's Christmas novella, The Dead, 
um, from his short story collection, Dubliners. And Amanda is super excited about this, if you can't tell, right down to her Kiss Me, I'm Irish socks. <laughs> yes. So for the celebration of Samhain, where the Celts made bonfires and put on mm. costumes to scare away evil spirits. Does that work with family members, too? Oh, I <laughs> Please, I, that's what it was meant for. Yeah, um, we are diving into one of the greatest Irish writers of the 20th century. All right, now speaking of evil spirits, Amanda, why don't we talk about what drink is haunting us tonight and probably tomorrow morning as well? <laughs> come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas. Spirit, take me where you will. So tonight, Amanda and I went really, really simple. Yes. We are drinking white wine. And I can hardly wait to see how you tie white wine into James Joyce and it's probably a really simple way that it's tied in right yeah it is mm -hmm. it is because um James Joyce yeah he liked to partake in some alcohol oh just a little just occasionally, a little. occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no but he you know so he liked whiskey but I know we can't we can't go down that road again we've yeah. been going down that road a little too often yeah um during these podcasts and it's he got into fun. absinthe a little bit, bit too yeah yep. but his really like his drink of choice was this um white wine mm -hmm. um from switzerland um, oh he um, had a specific white yes, wine that he drank yes okay. there's a um his well his favorite was this this one from switzerland um mm -hmm. fennant day how do you say it i have no idea Zion, I don't know, part of part of Switzerland, I don't know. Um, okay. Well, I, well, he lived, he, you lived know? A, he lived a good portion of his life in Zurich, though, so that kind of makes sense. So. Yeah, and that's where he, that's where he was introduced um, to this kind of wine. And mm. he wasn't a red wine fan, um, necessarily. I think he equated it to, <laughs> what did he say? Something like, um, oh, what did he say? He he called it like eating like raw beef or something like that. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not, right. don't get me, you know, I'm not quoting it perfectly or anything like that, but he, he preferred it, you know, a lighter, a lighter wine. And this type of wine, like when we discussed what we were going to drink, like, Oh, it's super simple. It's just white wine. Like I tried to find this particular wine mm -hmm. and I just couldn't find it, you know, mm -hmm. like you would have had to, you know, have it shipped in or something. I don't know. I, I find it. So I'm I, like, I well, I'll tell you what I did. I went to um, I went to Meyer, and I looked at the rack, <laughs> and it said five twenty nine for a bottle of wine, and it was white and perfect. sweet. And I said, perfect. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he, yeah. Um, I did a little bit of research on it, and there's a a the biographer Richard Elman. Mm um did a biography on Joyce and and he said that Joyce did discover this in Zurich and it basically <laughs> he the nickname he gave for it was that it was urine that it was no. like, 
Yeah. It was like a piss wine that he liked. A mm. Swiss piss wine. <laughs> so there you go. Um, All right. Yeah. So there you go. We are drinking Swiss piss tonight. Swiss piss tonight. Uh, and <laughs> Are we allowed and, to say that? Why yeah, not? come on. Who cares? And then, um, you know, this. Uh, we're going to get more into this, like as we as we discuss the story mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that. But but there really is this. Um, I think with with Joyce, especially, uh, you could definitely say with Hemingway. You know that there is this. Um, and they were friends, Hemingway. Yeah. And Joyce. Yeah. That. The, but that there is this like. Um, you know, this idea of the drunk narrative where there's a lot of drinking as, as camaraderie, mm-hmm. as uh, sort of cover for other issues. And you um, get that a lot in the dead too. It, yeah, you do. You do. And in a lot of his other stuff too. And, you know, and definitely in Hemingway's stuff, you know, I mean, God, yeah. the guy was, um, <laughs> I love I love the story when I was when I was doing my research for Joyce's biography about when they were in Paris together. Um, Joyce would love to start bar fights and then and then uh, stand behind Hemingway yes. and let Hemingway do it because Joyce was a you know a petite a really male sli- you know yeah he was a slight guy and so he'd start a bar fight with somebody and then he'd just like step aside and let Hemingway step in and take care of it. I love that so much. I just there's something about that that I love. Um, Hmm. But from you know, from what I could tell, he he was never labeled as an alcoholic. um, But that there there was something about uh, the ritual of drinking. um, He was he was a binge drinker. Yeah, he was a binge drinker, and and there's something about how. He used to say that he, the purpose of drinking for Joyce was, or, or that drinking was a combined purpose and relaxation that he could watch people and how they behaved. He could hear how they talked about things, you know, mm. and that, um, you know, it's a way to forget your troubles. You know? Well, and, and he also, I read one quote where he said that um, he couldn't, he couldn't write if he didn't drink. that was that was one so i don't know that might qualify him as an alcoholic i'm saying he never labeled himself as an alcoholic well he wasn't because i'm pretty sure i know i'm pretty sure he was yeah you know this was at the time where you know alcoholics anonymous and those kinds of things just really weren't 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 a thing and especially if you were a uh a famous i mean joyce hit uh in yeah it enjoyed a bit of fame in his life, although he seemed to struggle financially his whole, the whole time. So, but um, yeah. And and I think, you know, as a, as a writer at, in that time, it was a very. um, Everybody was drinking. It it went hand in hand with sort of the. The scene, I guess you, you know, like the scene, like it represented um like a modern what they considered a modern well yeah a lot of those a lot of those modernist and you know 20th century early 20th century and mid 20th century writers i mean i literally looked up a list 
of alcoholic writers. <laughs> I, I did because I was trying to find out. And they were all and friends. Here's, 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 here's the list that was included on this list. Hemingway, yeah. Hemingway, James Joyce, mm-hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. William Faulkner. Yeah. I mean, and I could list like three or four others that Oscar were right. Oscar. <laughs> well, I mean, but all around the time in the yeah. place where when Joyce was in Paris, all of these people were in Paris. They were mm-hmm. going to parties. They were drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and Hemingway was a notorious drunk most of his life. So, yeah. I mean, and well, almost all of them were. I think that, I think that Fitzgerald died of alcoholism eventually. And uh, Hemingway, I mean, he had bipolar. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the, uh, the drinking certainly didn't help with that. And, uh, you know. And I think, and in the, you know, to, to think of this like drunk narrative mm-hmm. term, I guess is a way of writing. It's a way of using alcohol in your writing, mm-hmm. you know, to. Well, it, it opens you, you know, Joyce, one of the things that he was most famous for was the fact that he used, he sort of um, really popularized using stream of consciousness. Yeah in his, in his, especially in his novels, like, um, Ulysses and Finnegan's Mm -hmm, Wake and mm -hmm, all that. mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was really this kind of, he was a very experimental writer. So, but I think that that kind of stream of consciousness, in some ways, there has to be a lack of inhibition in your mind and in your creative mind when you're doing something like that. And, and frankly, you know, when you're drinking, I mean, weird I was going to say something else, but weird <laughs> crap comes happens. out. Yeah, I know. It happens. It but happens I guess, on I, page. I guess I was, t- I was thinking more about is like the actual um, subject matter in these stories to include mm. characters who were involved in these, um, you know, like if one's a drunk, even in the story that, you know, the dead, that there's, there's this one character that is like, is the lush. They're all drinking. They're all enjoying, you know, their drinks, their sherry and their port and whatever. But there's this one who's really like, he's got a problem and they're Mm -hmm. not the same. And there's, there's um, a commentary about that, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's, he's trying, he's saying something about like drunk Irishmen, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and Mm -hmm. he's pointing out that, that you know there's some <laughs> there's some like stuntedness to those particular characters that they are not fully mm-hmm. fleshed out that they're not fully functioning that they're in it and that I don't know I mean the way I read it is that it's you know that it's a larger commentary on um on on Ireland and the major problems yeah yeah exactly. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well so, anyway. you know we're getting into the book yeah I'm so, sorry. Well, that's all right <laughs> well that's all right so there you go lit for Christmas partiers we are drinking white wine um that's what's filling Amanda and I with Christmas spirit tonight <laughs> um I, I think it's Christmas spirit so. yeah I think so we'll see um and now for a little visit from another spirit of Christmas Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You, you are the Spencer whose coming was foretold me. I am that spirit. Who, who, who are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. 
Long past? No. Your past. So, Marty, can you give us a little background on tonight's Charles Dickens, the Irish author James Joyce? All right. A little background. You know, I could talk for James Joyce is a huge, huge figure in 20th century literature. And so there's so much that you could talk about. But I'm I'm just going to cover sort of the basics about his life. So James Joyce, his full name was, you're going to love this, James Augustine Aloysius Joyce. I love that so much. Yeah, James, I, I, I do, it. you know, and he probably, and he probably went by Jim, but anyway, um, but Jimmy anyway, Joyce? Jimmy? Exactly, Jimmy Joyce. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow I don't think anybody in his life ever called him Jimmy mm. Joyce. All right. Well, anyway, so he was born um, February 2nd in 1882 in Dublin. Um, and he died January 13th, 1941. So right at the beginning of World War II, um, he died in Zurich, Switzerland. Um, hence his love of white wine from uh, Switzerland. Um, and um, he was, the, yeah, Swiss piss. <laughs> Which so, sort of sounds, if you say it fast, it sort of sounds like hot chocolate, Swiss piss. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. anyway, so anyway, um, Joyce was the oldest, you're going to love this too, of 10 children. And that, and it, and the actual, the actual line in the biography that I read was James Joyce was the oldest of ten children in his family to survive infancy, mm. which means that his mother gave birth to probably more than ten, yeah. more than ten kids. Yep. So, so put that in your head. Um, <laughs> but at the age of six, he went to uh, <laughs> he started going to a. Um, I, I'm I'm going to slaughter these Irish names so. At the age of six, he was enrolled in Clongowis Woods Wood College at the age of six, um, which was a Jesuit boarding school. Yeah. Okay. And um, he stayed there for a while. Um, and so he was he was born in 1882 at the age of six. So he started in 1888, around there. And he stay and he kept on going to this boarding school until 1891. And he had to leave the school simply because um his father was um, uh, enjoyed enjoyed drinking and mm -hmm. was was not a really good manager of of uh, money and stuff like that. So his family kept on sinking deeper and deeper into poverty with ten children. You can imagine that was probably pretty easy to do at the time. Um, and so uh, he, um, for a couple years, um, he tried to educate himself uh, with his mother's help, and then. In April of 1893, so uh, a couple years later, he and his brother, and his brother's name, you're going to love this one too, his <laughs> brother's name was Stanislaus. Oh. So Stanislaus Joyce. I they were that. <laughs> they, I knew it. These names are fantastic. They're so good. Yeah, so he, they were both admitted without any kind of fees or tuition um, to Belvedere College, which was another Jesuit grammar school in Dublin. Um, and he did really well. Joyce did really well academically. He was elected president of the Marian Society, which is something that um, since you're not Catholic, you wouldn't know. But no, I don't the, know what that the, is. The Marian Society is like a big organization yeah, under the auspices of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and basically what it was, was it was basically the position of head boy at the school. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, so and he he held that. However, um, he eventually left 
um, Belvedere College because it was thought that he had lost his Roman Catholic faith, which was true. Um, <laughs> he, um, uh, he like left behind the Roman Catholic faith mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and after he left Belvedere, he eventually um, entered University College in Dublin. And, and all of these schools, including University College, was staffed, were staffed by Jesuit priests. So even though he left the Catholic faith behind him, he went to a school that was staffed. And I think that was simply because the Jesuits were the most educated people and mm-hmm. they're the ones that were in the schools teaching. And um, Joyce studied languages and um, he, he reserved a lot of his a lot of his energies at college to extracurricular activities, <laughs> shall we say. Um, and um, he read wild, widely um, while he was at Dublin College, but he didn't read the books that the Jesuits were telling, telling him to read. He was reading um, uh, other stuff that was probably not on the list of appropriate <laughs> reading for them. And, and in particular, he, was, he really loved um uh, Hen- uh Henrik Ibsen mm-hmm. and so yeah. um he, he eventually plays. yeah and eventually <laughs> yeah. he studied he taught himself Norwegian Dano yeah. Norwegian so that he could read them in its in their uh, original language and mm-hmm. at the age of 18 he published um a an, an essay an article Ibsen's new drama um which was the review of the play when when we dead awaken and it was published in a London newspaper. And so at the age of 18, he became like um, well-known as a critic. Mm. Um, so, um, and, uh, and he really enjoyed Ibsen. And, um, he, he, he would, and so he continued to do that, publish articles and things like that. Eventually, he graduated from, uh, from University College on, here's another Halloween connection. He graduated on October 31st <laughs> of 1902. Um, and uh, he was, uh, he graduated with second class honors in Latin. Nice. So that's something that's going to get you a job at McDonald's. I think. <laughs> so, anyway, but during the time. Latin is so interesting. Oh it God. is interesting. It's so but interesting. you know what? They, he better have learned how to say, do you want fries with that? Because that's what he, so it, it just didn't catapult him into a, a lucrative career, okay? But um, all the time after he graduated and, um, and during the time that he was uh, uh, matriculating, um, he was constantly writing uh, things, writing verse and short prose and stuff. And he came up, with these short prose passages, which he called epiphanies. And this is something that um, stuck with him throughout his entire career. And especially with his short stories, because his short stories aren't really um, plot-driven stories. They're, they're yeah. stories that revolve around these kind, these things that he called epiphanies. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that he described epiphanies as they were, um, they were accounts of moments in a person's life when the real truth about some person or some object is revealed. Mm. And when we start talking about the dead, of course, that's exactly what happens at the end of of the dead. So these epiphanies, if you read the book, The Dubliners, which I would would recommend if you want to start with The Dubliners, because it's a a very readable book and the the stories are are easy to get into. not as experimental as 
Ulysses or yeah. or even further Finnegan's Wake, mm -hmm. um, be, which are very challenging works. And I will be the first to admit I have never made it through Ulysses or Finnegan's Wake. Really? I'm like, no, I never have. So anyway, I, um, I haven't made it through Finnegan's Wake, but I have made it. But through you have Ulysses. read Ulysses. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's a it's it it's not an easy read. It's not. at all. No, I love it though. I'm I'm sure so you much, do. but I, I know like half the time I, you're reading it, and you're like, what? I don't even know what's going on. But exactly, you know. <laughs> I know. I'll skip ahead a chapter and see if I can follow it from there. No, you, you just can't. I, I mean, know. You, I know. You have to sort of just. It's it's like a roller coaster ride. You just have to go along with it. You go along with it, it, and you just let you just let it like wash over you, mm -hmm. and you see what. I don't know. For me, it was like this. You just let it wash over you and you see what sort of emotionally you find those epiphanies, you know, you mm -hmm. find those moments yeah. where it just hits you like a freight train mm -hmm. in the same way that the end of this story. Oh, my God. It's me That's... like a freight train. No, and... Yeah. Don't even get me started on the end. We're going to get there. But <laughs> it, Oh, my God. It is the most. <laughs> yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. That 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 know. those love, that last paragraph that last paragraph is like yeah. But anyway, okay. I know there are, there is we're to, we're totally going to be like fawning we're over totally there. yes. But um, so yeah, at, sorry, at, after he graduated, um, he decided I'm going to study to be a doctor because he wanted to make money. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and um, he realized that um, he didn't. <laughs> He gave up on that quite a bit after attending a few lectures <laughs> in Dublin for, for medical school. So instead, what he did, which is what anybody would do, he borrowed money from somebody and went to Paris. Oh, yeah. Um, and where he abandoned completely the idea of medicine. And he wrote book reviews and, you know, did some more reading. Whatever. And that, was in, that, was in that was in 1902. In 1903, however... He got called back to Dublin because his mother was dying. And so um, he sort of like knocked around Dublin trying to teach. And he lived at various places and everything like that. Um, and um, but he started writing a novel then um, called Stephen Hero, which eventually was rewritten and published as a portrait of an artist as a young mm -hmm. man. Um, but during that time also there, there's a couple important things that happened in 1904 so um there was um uh, uh there was a, a magazine uh publisher george russell who was offering one pound each for some simple short stories with an irish background to appear in a magazine called the irish homestead so in response to that Joyce began writing short stories, which would eventually be collected into Dubliners and getting paid one pound uh, for each of those stories. Um, and they appeared under uh, his pseudonym. He used a pseudonym, Stephen Daedalus, mm -hmm. which, uh, which was the main character <clears throat> in the portrait, portrait of an artist, this young man. Um, and, they, and he kept on accepting those until he decided that Joyce's work was not suitable for his readers, which is a recurring theme in Joyce's life as well that he would he starts publishing something and then he gets banned um uh for Ulysses was sort of the same way portrait of an artist is young man it's the same way but also in 1904 and here's a really significant one in June of 1904 he meets a woman named Nora 
Barnacle. Um, <laughs> I love I love the name. Um, and um, fell in love with Nora Barnacle in June of 1904. Had their first date and their first sexual encounter on June 16th. And the reason that we know that is because that is the day. <laughs> That is the day that you uh, that uh, Ulysses is set on. That's Bloom's Day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, because that blood, because yeah. Ulysses yeah, yeah, yeah. is like this immense yeah. book. It's all set on one day. One day. Right, and yeah. that is June sixteenth, and that was the day that he first had sex with Nora Barnes, <laughs> who eventually, who he eventually married. Okay, so yeah, so um, he was a romantic. Ugh. Well, not really, because. Later, when he, I mean, later in his life, he met up with a friend who his friend told him a lie. But for the rest of his life, um, Joyce had this thing that he thought that Nora was cheating on him. And so that's why you have Molly Bloom mm -hmm. in, in uh, Ulysses and in, I think in Finnegan's Wake too. But you have Molly Bloom shown as this like cheating spouse. <laughs> because he harbored this in him but anyway um so anyway he could no, i guess maybe maybe romantic was the wrong term i was just say the man was committed mm. that's what yeah. i mean like dedicated to he, carrying his important life events through <laughs> to the end you know <laughs> I guess fixated. that's a good that, that's a good fixated, way of, you know you know well you know I mean that's a, could I guess say obsessed I don't know I understand that I I am not saying that I am in any way like George, I, maybe like in the tiniest of way in that way no I might be really okay well yeah. fixation um, I I no, I'm not even going to go into the whole first day people had sex no I'm not going to do that <laughs> so anyway he convinces Nora to leave Ireland with him in October of 1904. This is after his mother dies. Um, but um, he doesn't want to get married. He refuses to get married. And I think this has something to do with his rejection of the um, Roman Catholic faith. Um, so they, they leave Dublin together in 1904. Um, he returns, well, he obtains this position in Austria-Hungary, um, uh, which, which is now... Um, Croatia and he was working in his spare time on novels and short stories so um anyway and that's where his two children Georgia Giorgio and Lucia I, I don't know where where Irish family comes up with like these <laughs> names but Giorgio and uh, and Lucia they were born um and um and then here's what's really significant and which ties into our our the story that we're reading tonight um, he worked for eight months from 1906 to 07 in Rome at a bank in Rome. And he disliked everything about Rome. <laughs> I, I mean, he hated Rome. And um, then, and that particular experience made him realize that Ireland was like almost pleasant in contrast to mm. what he experienced in Rome. And um, he, he, he wrote to his brother at, at that time that he doesn't think, didn't think that he had given credit in his stories that he'd been writing about um, uh, Ireland that eventually were collecting the Dubliners. He didn't think he was giving uh, credit to the Irish virtue of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And so he started planning a new story and that story was the dead, um, which is now considered like 
like a, a classic, like one yeah. of the greatest short stories ever written in the English language. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, his, his experiences in Rome literally led directly to him writing the dead. Um, and eventually um, he uh, abandoned his, well, didn't abandon his like no, novel, Stephen Hero, but he decided that he needed to rewrite it. And um, he changed it into the portrait of an artist as a young man. Um, and then in 1909, he moved back to Dublin. And um, now everybody that's listening to this is going, when the hell is he going to end up, end this, this little thing? <laughs> a couple more things, okay? Um so he's got to um, make it to 1940 something. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it eventually. So um, when when Italy declares war in 1915, um, uh, uh, J- uh, Jimmy Joyce uh, moves Jimmy. to Jimmy moves uh, with his family uh, to Zurich, and he he starts teaching again, and he starts working on Ulysses, um, and. Um, and during this whole time, he's the way that he's really literally supporting himself is through grants from two women um, who really liked him. Edith, Edith Rockefeller McCormick and, um, and more importantly, um, a woman named Harriet Shaw Weaver, who was the editor of the Egoist magazine. Um, and um, by the time in 1930, she had lent, loaned him uh, the equivalent of 23,000 pounds. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and her generally, I mean, she admired his work, but also it was in sympathy for his difficulties, his financial difficulties. But also during this time, um, he started suffering from eye disease, a bunch of, a series of eye diseases. Um, and, and just to give you an idea about this, from 1917 to 1930, he had 25 operations on his eyes. Wow. Um, for iritis, glaucoma, and cataracts, mm. and um, and sometimes he uh, was blind for short intervals. So I mean, this was something that he struggled with his whole life. Um, but the other thing that's really interesting about that is during these times where he had his health struggles and where they were at his worst, he wrote some of his most joyous pieces of writing during that time as well. So. Anyway, um, Weaver, the one who loaned him 23,000 pounds, wa- um, wanted to get a portrait of an artist as a young man published and um, couldn't get anybody interested in it. So she published it herself. Um, it came out in the in, um, United States first and then came out in England a little bit after that in 1920, 1918. Um, and... Uh, and he, he became famous because of a portrait of an artist as a young man. Um, and then World War, after World War I, um, he accepted an invitation from Ezra Pound. James Joyce knew like every freaking famous writer or had interaction <laughs> with every freaking famous writer of the early 20th century. So um, anyway, he accepted his invitation in July of 1920 and he went to Paris again and um that was where his novel ulysses was first published in 1922 which is now considered his masterpiece um and that one was published by another woman <laughs> sylvia beach who was the proprietor of the book stop uh, bookshop and you'll know this shakespeare and company 
She's the one that yes. founded. She she's the one that founded yes. Shakespeare and Company. I've and, been um, there. I've been yeah, there. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. And cool. and uh, she the founder of that one was the one that first published Ulysses. Um, there was a couple magazines that were publishing portions of Ulysses, but eventually they got banned. It couldn't be uh, so. So and Ulysses caused a great stir. Um, it was banned in the United States as being <laughs> pornographic, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it also sort of cemented um, Joyce's um, reputation as a really important uh, 20th century modernist writer. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and of course, Ulysses, one of the things that Ulysses is known for, which is sort of a, a modern, modern parallel to the, uh, to the Odyssey right yeah. um um and it focuses on Stephen Daedalus Harold Bloom and Molly Bloom mm -hmm. um and Molly Bloom is the cheating wife of Harold Bloom and of <laughs> course that's that that's um uh that's Joyce working through his again um, <laughs> his own yeah. psychological issues with a uh, um trust anyway yeah. um but what's really um that book is uh, among other things that's really um, famous for is James Joyce's use of stream of consciousness in that in that particular work, which was considered groundbreaking at the time, um, and um, and was probably he was because of that book he was emulated by so many writers after that. So Ulysses was um, stylistically and technically and, and experimentally it was just a groundbreaking novel. Um, again, I say this having read about two-thirds of it and given up uh, like <laughs> twice so anyway um anyway it had censorship troubles he always had censorship troubles because Joyce wrote about everything um and wrote about it quite explicitly at times <laughs> yeah. so um anyway um anyway uh um when uh after Ulysses comes out Joyce is still um living in in Paris um, and he starts working on Finnegan's Wake. Of course, he didn't call it Finnegan's Wake. He never identified it as Finnegan's Wake until it came out. He simply called it work in progress. So when people asked him, what is he working on? He'd say, oh, work in progress. Um, and um, anyway, um, it was fine. Uh, Finnegan's Wake, uh, which was his really his last major work, um, was published in May of 1939. Um, and um, he uh, he was still suffering from chronic eye problems, health problems, but also another thing that he was suffering from was um, great and prolonged um, uh, anxiety over um, the mental health of his daughter, Lucia, um, mm -hmm. who eventually had to be institutionalized. Um, and um, so he, he really, uh, he really uh, um, suffered a great deal because of the, his, the, his daughter's struggles. Um, and, um, in 1931, going back just a little bit, he finally got married. He <laughs> finally got married to Nora um, oh, yeah. when, when he visited London. And um, the reason that they got married wasn't because Joyce had any kind of change of heart or anything like that. It was simply because um, his daughter um, complained so much that she that his her parents were married that he eventually gave in <laughs> and said, OK, we'll get married. And I think that was more for trying to help his daughter with her mental yeah. mm -hmm. health issues than anything else. So he got married simply to try to help his daughter. Um, anyway, um, so he, he uh, 
eventually uh, published Finnegan's Wake, um, which came out and did not receive the kind of attention or acclaim that um, that Ulysses did or a portrait of an artist as a young man did or Dubliners did. Um, and he was, he was supremely disappointed by that. I'm not gonna get into what Finnegan's Wake is about because that would take a whole nother hour and a half yeah, I know, to talk right? about it. So we're not gonna do that. But um, after the fall of France at the beginning of World War II in 1940, um, Joyce went, moved back to Zurich um, and he, he died in Zurich in January of 1931. So basically his, his legacy as a writer um, is based on four books, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, Dubliners, mm -hmm. Ulysses, and um, Finnegan's Wake. Um, he did publish some some uh, poetry, some plays, but um, they're really not considered that that um, that important in his whole uh, in his whole life. So um, there you go. That's right. that's James Joyce. So <laughs> now that we know a little bit, um, a little bit, yeah, or a well, lot about yeah. James Joyce, it's time to join hands and conjure. <laughs> the dead the dead okay so i don't know i i, I want you to sort of uh, what do you want to focus on i mean it's it's a brilliant short story okay i i think you know it is and, you know i think we should just just a super short basic overview of the story is that they're they're celebrating christmas they're yeah. in ireland right it's dublin it's Dublin. They're celebrating mm -hmm. Christmas. Um, there are some sort of spinster aunts who always put on a nice spread for right. Christmas, right? Yeah. Like a nice party, good food. And, and everybody comes to it. And everybody comes to it. And this is, and um, I guess you would say Gabriel is, I mean, he's the, he's the nephew, right? He's the nephew of the, mm -hmm. of the, 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 the spinster aunts. aunts yeah. Yeah. And he, he and his wife go to this every year and he's like the favorite, he's the favorite nephew. So, right. so he gets to carve the goose and you know, that kind of thing. He, makes, he makes the speech, he yeah. makes the speech. Yeah. You know, every... he, makes, he makes the holiday speech. And there, and there are these, you know, characters that kind of come and go. Mm -hmm. um, one is a drunk. One's that a drunk. Are, that everybody's afraid is gonna make make a, a scene, scene right so yeah gabriel like, has to watch out yeah and the, and then there's um there's sort of a a younger girl who helps the family who yeah. she was helping the men with their coats and everything as they arrive mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and she abruptly leaves yeah. and gabriel thinks this is it was almost a rude of her that she yep. does this but um that's all that's really said about her, you know, right. like pretty much. Yeah. And, and I mean, basically in some ways it's, it's a story that takes place over the space of maybe two or three hours at the most. Yeah. They, you know, they, everybody arrives, they have dinner, they sing some songs, they do some dancing. dancing. Um, and then it, it sort of abruptly ends as far as the narrative goes mm -hmm. you know the party's over and then everybody has to find their way home and, and they're walking they're walking together in a group for a while yeah, yeah. and 
and his speech is about, you know, he's worried. There's a lot of this internal worry about like, oh, I don't know, am I going to offend people with a speech or, you know, because he kind of takes this stance in his speech about, about how we really need to, you know, respect the hospitality of our culture. Yeah. Right. And kind of, it's almost a little bit um, uh, derisive of younger people of the younger mm-hmm. generations that are coming up that he thinks really aren't as respectful as yeah. his, his generation or generations prior that, you know, they're not quite up to par and he, and he tries to convey this, but in, you know, in his, um, well, and he gets, I, I think that, um, there's a one that what there's one lady at the party that really goads him at a point yes. where, where she's, I, I think that she's trying to get, trying to goad him into, um, uh, swearing allegiance to Ireland instead of England or something yeah. like that, and that's that. There's that whole thing, and you know, at the time, you know, where there were the people who were in support of the British rule and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and then the Irish, and so you know, Gabriel is sort of you know he's firmly on the side of Ireland, but he walks this line, you he know, where he line. doesn't want to offend anybody. And she's a she's a colleague of his. Yeah, um, yeah. In uh, he's a yeah teacher professor. Or something he's a or professor, that. I think. Yeah, I who writes? So. I can't writes, remember exactly. But he writes things. He writes like anonymous like reviews and does reviews. He has a column or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she reads these and she kind of makes commentary about his opinions on what he's saying there, and 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 she's kind of pushy. I guess you don't want to say. I just said pushy. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean pushy, but it's from his perspective. He views right. her as pushy mm-hmm. about it Yeah, where she shouldn't, he feels like she shouldn't have, like that was rude of her to, to talk well, to him in that way or to, you know, and, and so, so there's kind of, I don't know, like for me, like there's, there's these, uh, it's kind of Gabriel's interpretation of how he what? he he's he's wistful for polite society is how i take it he's he's got a lot of and i think this plays right into the the time of the time of year that it's set and the fact mm-hmm. that it's set at christmas there's a lot of nostalgia yeah yeah that and and even towards the end when you get to that beautiful ending it's mm-hmm. this it's this total trip of nostalgia that his wife goes on yeah and and um and you know here's the thing not a lot happens in this no and that's the thing it's like the first the first like Mm two-thirds or three-fourths of this story are just kind of they're interesting in the way that it's Put together with the dialogue and the kind of these weird sort of vignettes of mm-hmm. scenes like there's there's like you pop into a scene and this is what's happening and then it's all it's just people's dialogue and kind of like people talking and and it does give that feeling of being at a party and there are these you know there's not one cohesive um conversation there are all these like little snippets of conversations kind of mm-hmm melded in so it recreates mm-hmm. that feeling which is really cool but but the part of the story like where there's like real meat to it is the end mm-hmm. and that's where he sees his wife and oh god there's this 
part in the part <laughs> the part where you know and i haven't read the story i've read this story before but i haven't read it in a long time yeah and and i get through the whole almost all the way to the end um and then i started underlining and i started mm. underlining like at where i felt like the place where the, it really became interesting to me mm -hmm. um and there's this scene where they're getting ready to leave and his wife uh, another guest at the party um is singing a song he's an opera kind of a, singer yeah he, in, he's a... in the background mm -hmm. singing a song and his wife is listening and she's like at the top of the stairwell he stood in the gloom of the hall trying to catch the air that the voice was singing and gazing up at his wife there was grace and mystery in her attitude as if she were a symbol of something mm. he asked himself what is a woman standing on the stairs in the shadow listening to distant music a symbol of mm. you know and that was the moment where like i underlined that and i was like oh this this gets good from here mm -hmm. <laughs> from yeah. here on out this is like the pivotal that's the turning point in this yeah. story where it gets real after that well, yeah, because everything else, I mean, literally, it's like you're at a party. Yeah. That, that's basically what it is. For the you're first, like, two-thirds or even three-quarters of the novella, you're at a party. And really, I mean, it really is sort of James Joyce sort of celebrating this, this, cultural, um, the, this cultural part of, of Irish society where where it's all about hospitality and you mm -hmm. open up your house and you welcome people mm -hmm. in, you welcome the drunk guy from down the street. Yeah. who's going to might embarrass himself, you know, and everybody's yeah. nice to him to his face. And then they might say some things when he's out of the room, right. but you know, or they, but they, you don't but, embarrass him, you know, but, but they also help him too. Yeah. See, that's yeah, the thing. Do. Nobody's, nobody's mean or cruel or vindictive in this mm -hmm. story in any way, shape or form. Sure, they tease each other sort of good naturally. Some people might get their feathers ruffled a little mm -hmm. bit, but for the most part, everything is always really polite and pleasant. And they're all and they all sort of honor these spinster ants who've been throwing this party for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. And and the fact and they, they honor what they do, you know, they're they're piano teachers and they've taught me all kinds of people, musicians and things like that. And so they have all these connections with um, the art, art society and that, all that. So, yeah, but you're right. It's at that point where the story shifts. The story shifts and it, it becomes this internal. We do, we, like, it, it, it does become almost like an internal stream of consciousness with, of Gabriel. With Gabriel, yeah. And, and, and him and in that moment, how he's feeling about his wife and his memories of what you know when they were first together and mm -hmm. things were exciting and you know they've been together a long time and they've had children and it's not exciting anymore and he's you know and he's drunk from the party yeah. and he's horned up and he yeah. wants to like get with his wife you right. know but right. you know they're yeah. at that point where you know he, they, there's this kind of strange like reserved his you know, wife his wife is like really, really emotional 
Yeah. And and he thinks that she's getting really, really emotional about wanting to be with him. <laughs> yeah. And it and it's not. And it's not. No. And here's and here's Jay and here's Joyce yeah. stepping into the character of Gabriel too. Mm-hmm. Because then suddenly Gabriel, you know, she she confesses about tells this story about this young boy that loved her when she was a girl, Michael Fury. And right. Then- he used to sing the same song. The same song that, that the opera singer to. was that she heard, and she couldn't remember the name of the song. And she asked what the name was, and she's like overcome emotionally, remembering back to her youth and to this boy that you who know, said think, that who said that if I can't be with you, I'm going to die. Well, she, well, no, it wasn't exactly. At least it was pretty much it was pretty much that's the way it 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 comes off well Um, he had he was um you know kind of sickly i think and he had illness and she was sent away she was going to be leaving and they used to go on walks you know together and that was i think you know it was like young love you are right but the way but the way that it you know he he comes to her the night before she's going to leave town and it's raining and, and he says to her that he doesn't want to live. Right. Yeah. Because she's leaving. Because and she's plus leaving. he's, and plus he's already in poor health as it is. Yeah. He's standing out in the rain. Yeah. And of course she leaves because she's a young woman going off into yeah. the world and Michael Fury dies. Yeah. And um, so it's that the, the, that is what Greta is Gabriel's wife is really focused on. She's overcome with this, yeah, with this memory of this young boy standing out in the rain singing this song, yeah, to her. And of course, what Gabriel gets into because he wants to do it with his wife, yeah. What yeah. what what he, he he here's James Joyce stepping in and going, and Gabriel becomes jealous thinking that all she's thinking about is another man when when she's when uh Greta is married to him and so he he works through the he goes through this like emotional yes. journey yes. where it's like where it's like oh you know I'm really pissed you know because she's she's thinking about this other man but then you know she and then she's weeping and and then he sort of starts changing you yeah, know yeah. trying to comfort her and everything and he eventually starts, he starts having empathy for her. Right. And right. he starts sort of realizing that um <laughs> that I love this, you know, that that um Gabriel leaning on his oh, she was fast asleep. So she, mm-hmm. you know, she was upset and she falls asleep. Gabriel leaning on his elbow, looked for a few moments unresentfully on her tangled hair and half-open mouth listening to her deep drawn breath. So she had had that romance in her life. A man had died for her sake. Mm. You know, it's Um, this realization that she, you know, she had that and that that's not something that they, that he, he would never die for her sake. You know what I mean? and, and (laughs) And he's never had someone so committed to him. Yeah. He's never had that. Right. Love. And he's saying, well, that must be what love is. Well, one of my favorite passages, like a few, um, and then he goes through this whole 
this whole like emotional journey over the next couple paragraphs. And then he gets to this point where he says, and this is, I think, the second to the last paragraph of the whole yeah. novella. Generous tears filled Gabriel's eyes. He had never felt like that himself towards any woman. But he knew that such a feeling must be love. The tears gathered more thickly in his eyes and in the partial darkness. He imagined how the form of a young man standing under a dripping tree. Other forms were near. His soul had approached that region where dwell the vast hosts of the dead. He was conscious of but could not apprehend their wayward and flickering existence. His own identity was fading out into a gray impalpable world. The solid world itself, which these dead had one time reared and lived in, was dissolving and dwindling. It's such a gorgeous passage. Mm -hmm. um, it, and, and literally what happens is at that moment where the dead become the living and the living become the dead, they sort of, they, there's this, this weird sort of fading of the present into the past, the past becoming yeah. much more real. Um, and, um, and then you get that last paragraph, which yeah. that's, that's what, that's what my uh, um, uh, writing prompt is going to be about. Um, but that last paragraph is just stunning. Um, it's, it's, Can I read it? I love yeah, it. So yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. All right. A few light taps upon the pane made him turn to the window. It had begun to snow again. He watched sleepily the flakes, silver and dark, falling obliquely against the lamplight. The time had come for him to set out on his journey westward. Yes, the newspapers were right. Snow was general all over Ireland. It was falling on every part of the dark central plain, on the treeless hills, falling softly upon the bog of Allen, and further westward, softly falling into the dark, mutinous Shannon waves. It was falling, too, upon every part of the lonely churchyard on the hill where Michael Fury lay, lay buried. It lay thickly drifted on the crooked crosses and headstones, on the spears of the little gate, on the barren thorns. His soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling, like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead. <laughs> falling wow. faintly through the universe and faintly falling that line <laughs> it's so good i mean I, honestly that that particular paragraph i remember reading it for the first time probably when i was in high school i read mm -hmm. dubliners um but that i that paragraph has sort of haunted me my whole life yeah <laughs> um it's one of the the greatest final paragraphs of a short story or any work that I've ever read in my life. Um, and it's, it's just the beauty of it. The sadness of it yeah. um, is just um, absolutely stunning. And, um, and I think what, like you said, these, the emotional evolution mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. laid bare. I mean, it is, it is so gorgeously conveyed. Mm -hmm. 
this this man's internal shifting mm-hmm. his empathy his his epiphany his, his epiphany. epiphany his realization mm-hmm. of what is actually mm. before him yeah yeah you know like that it, like that's the amazing like that's what you know people live lifetimes without being yeah. able to get there right yeah and it and it really is i mean for for greta it's a moment of profound grief yeah you know where she's thinking back and remembering and yeah. maybe we're maybe working through a grief that she's never worked through in her mm-hmm. life up until that point yeah and for gabriel it's this emotional journey of somehow being given something that his wife has held back from him mm-hmm. their entire marriage and seeing his wife in a completely different uh, light and accepting it mm-hmm. and somehow making it a part of himself as well um, and um, recognizing sort of the power of the past and how the past and the people from the past, people that you've lost, you know, how they really do inform your life and, um, and affect how you interact and, and how you, um, you navigate your daily existence. I mean, it's just, wow, we're getting really deep. I know. <laughs> I'm like tearing up. I'm like, yeah. It, it's just, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's, it's an amazing story. <laughs> It is, it is. But, you know, um, uh, I mean, it's James Joyce. And, and like yeah. I said, I, I, <laughs> I, the dead, the dead literally is one of the greatest short stories ever written, I think, in my opinion, and in many people's opinions. Um, you know, of course, it's a dead white guy again, but, you know, we, we, we have to go there. Um, but, um, you know, it's, um, I, I, I'll stand by it. I'm not sure how much of a Christmas story it is. You know, we, we, <laughs> we need to talk about that. But yeah. Um, so um, anyway. So now that we've been walking with the dead for a while, yeah. we, we've reached that point in the lit for Christmas party. Although this, I don't know how much of a party this is tonight, but hey. Um, you know, I have an, I have, I, look, I'm holding an empty <laughs> bottle of wine. I drank this whole bottle today. <laughs> and, um, well, Marty and I were completely rad arsed, as the Irish say, and rate this yeah. episode's work of Christmas Lit. Okay. So, Amanda and I, as you all know, rate all of the lit on this podcast from one to five Tiny Tims. One Tiny Tim being the worst, Tiny Tim chokes to death on a piece of soda bread, <laughs> and Ebenezer Scrooge drives all the snakes back into Ireland. Five <laughs> Tiny Tims being the best. Tiny Tim grows up, wins the Nobel Prize in literature, writing under the pseudonym W.B. Yeats. Ah. Ah, and Ebenezer Scrooge becomes the lead in the touring production of The Lord of the Dance. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. That's Ireland. Oh. Anyway. All right, Amanda. How many Tiny Tims did the dead earn from you now again we're writing it as christmas and lit not as just 
great literature. Keep that in mind. Uh, <laughs> Christmas lit. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a two for Christmas lit. Two, okay. Yeah. The basic concept of hospitality, yeah, that's broached. But uh, the beginning of the story is really, it's not overly interesting to me. Mm. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot more to it that I'm not paying attention to, mm. you know, that would yeah. make it more interesting for me. Um, but, uh, you know, as literature, I give it like a thousand stars. Mm -hmm. um, it made me cry. <laughs> mm -hmm. It always makes yeah. me cry. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's not the warm, fuzzy feeling that you're going to want to get from Christmas. Yes, yeah. but you but you gave Last Christmas of the War five Tiny Tims last I time. I know, I know. But there's and no, warm, there's no warm trying, Christmas. I'm year. trying to learn from that <laughs> because you seem to be offended by well, my... Well, I wasn't offended. By my, just, like, rating just, of it. And I'm trying to think, like, well, in the terms of, like, you know, warm, fuzzy Christmas lit, this is not necessarily that. Well, I don't know um, if it has to be warm, fuzzy because I don't think Truman Capote's story is a warm, fuzzy story um, at all. All right, then I change it. I give it five stars. There, that's what I what? originally wanted to give it, and then I what? was like, "Well, the, you're giving the dead five five tiny tims." Yes. I okay. Am. You really? I talked you out of two tiny tims. You talked me out of two, but it wasn't really what I wanted to give it. It was I was trying to appease you, were, you, you in your wow. Christmas lit, your quest for like warm fuzzy Christmas lit, and I was trying to be. Like, I am harsh. I am not on the quest for warm fuzzy Christmas <laughs> I lit, trying, but I want harsh it. But know? I want, but I want Christmas lit that's good, but that actually is is more than just a story set at Christmas or a novel set at Christmas. But I think Christmas lit has to have certain aspects to it. There has to be a moment where um, where that that meaning of Christmas comes through. I don't know if this the the, the dead has it. You know, um, I think that Gabriel at some moment sort of spends some time reflecting on hospitality and on his aunts and how much he loves them and you know and and he does like work himself up into a I think a fervor of, <laughs> of Christmas that sort of translates yeah. into he wants to get busy with his wife. Yeah. But a, hor um, a horny frenzy on Christmas is what he's thinking about. Well, there's so. nothing wrong with that. No, but, I, I'm not saying there is. I'm just, you but, know, making making fun of the character a little bit because he what, was a little he was yeah. totally horned up and it was um, somewhat entertaining. So you gave five tiny tiny tunes. Oh, Marty, come on. Okay, I'm gonna change it again. I'm gonna give oh. three. I'm gonna give three. Okay. That's that's where I'm gonna stay. Okay. Right. Now I didn't pressure you into that. You you can no. do whatever you want. No, I was okay. a knee jerk reaction to give it five because I was like going from two to five. I don't know what I want. Okay. I'm gonna go with three. All right. So three tiny Tims from Amanda, <laughs> and as give as it? as Christmas lit. Um, I don't think. It is as bad as, well, not that Seamus Haney's book was bad, but there was literally no Christmassy stuff in that. No. I um, and it, I don't think it's as Christmassy as, for me, Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. 
No, yeah, um, I agree. It's it's not there. Um, so I'm I'm just sort of it's better than Fanny Flag. Um, I yeah, think although better than Fanny Flag. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> so I am going to give it three tiny Tims of two. So oh, good. okay, we agree. Yeah, yeah. We'll meet so, it in the middle. That's right. Yeah, we'll we'll meet it right in the middle. Three tiny Tims. Um, so you know, which means that you know, Tiny Tim lives a little longer. You yeah. know, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, maybe gets together with Belle at some time in his yeah. late life, and after her husband dies, and maybe they have a little fling, whatever. But you know, not quite the "God bless us, everyone" ending. But <laughs> um, it's not as it's not the I'm cold and dead in my grave ending either so and i will say this whether you are a fan of christmas lit or not you should read this story oh yeah yeah just read it it's it's amazing if you've just never read, read it and this. see what it see what it does for you yeah. yeah so all right now that we have buried the dead <laughs> <laughs> with our lit for christmas ranking yes it is time to create some christmas lit ourselves I'll honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. The lessons that they teach. That time in the Lit for Christmas party when Marty and I are completely plastered, take up mm -hmm. our pen and paper, and embarrass ourselves by trying to write something. <laughs> and this month it is the lessons that James, what is his full name? James, uh, oh God, I can't even remember it. I know, Alo <laughs> I, I know Aloysius is in there. Aloysius, yeah. yeah. James something Aloysius Joyce teaches. So I'm going to give you a writing prompt based on a passage from the dead. And then Amanda and I are gonna write for 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, Marty and I will share what we have written. But, we want you to join us on this little drunken exercise in humiliation. <laughs> so grab whatever you write with. And once you hear the prompt, pause the podcast, set a timer for 15 minutes and write with us. So fill up your wine glass again, mm. turn on some Bing Crosby, or I have to tell you, I recently found Billy Idol as a Christmas album. Oh, you shared that with yes, me. Yes, yes. It's utter trash, but <laughs> still, you should listen to that. And that's going to put people in the Christmas spirit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. With a rebel, yeah. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one, I do not recommend filling up your wine glass again. Um, I, I am one, <laughs> I am not three glasses deep i'm one bottle deep and i don't think yeah. it will help and okay. i'm not and i've heard billy idol and i'm not sure that's going to help either but, <laughs> um, <laughs> so probably not a good idea at this point so marty okay. what, what do you have for us tonight all right well as i said my um uh, just a little while ago my my uh, prompt is sort of based on that last paragraph that amanda and i were sort of um having orgasms over a little while ago <laughs> um um which let me just was grab. it as good for you as it was for me yeah it's always it as good for me you know <laughs> amanda and i are going to after we're done doing this gonna smoke a cigarette and just enjoy ourselves <laughs> so 
anyway, yeah, it's this it's this really beautiful, and Amanda's already read it, so I'm not going to read it again, except for the last few lines. Um, it's all about this description of the snow falling all over Ireland. And if you've never seen the the film version of this, John Houston made a film version of this, and um, and uh, Angelica Houston plays Greta mm. in it, and um, Gabriel Byrne plays um, uh, uh, Gabriel in the movie. And um, it's just the, the ending is really stunning um, um, because you get this kind of really sweeping cinematic picture of snow falling all over Ireland and it's gorgeous. But um, anyway, um, so I'm just going to read these last few sentences. Yeah. It was falling too upon every part of the lonely churchyard on the hill where Michael Fury lay buried. It lay thickly drifted on the crooked crosses and headstones on the spears of the little gate on the barren thorns. His soul swooned slowly as he heard the snow falling faintly through the universe and faintly falling like the descent of their last end upon all the living and the dead. Um, so I, I, I love that, that paragraph for so many reasons. Um, and it, even the rhythm of it is like watching snow, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it just that the whole, the whole repetition of faint, faintly falling, falling faintly and mm-hmm. stuff. It's like this drift of words that you get. And it's, it's just, you know, stunning. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to write about snow, okay? But I don't want you to just describe it. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to make it a character in whatever you piece you write and what you're writing about. Um, like Joyce does. I think that snow actually becomes a character in that last paragraph. And, um, you know, what does that snow represent? Um, you know, uh, because I think that snow represents something really important at the end of that um, that uh, novella for Joyce. So um, write about a snow scene, have snow in it, and um, make it some kind of important um, thing in in the piece. All right. And um, so what I'm going to do now, you've got um, 15 minutes, everybody, and um, I'm going to work. So pause the podcast. Get another drink, whatever you need to do. Write for 15 minutes and um, join Amanda and I. And uh, Amanda and I are going to start writing now. And we'll see you at the end of 15 minutes. Okay, time is up. And that was the fastest 15 minutes in my life. (laughs) I don't know about you, Amanda, but the dead were not very kind to me. 
Uh, yeah, I think what I managed to write is what you would call dead on arrival. Well, 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 wait, let, let, let's see if we can raise the dead. <laughs> How many dead puns are we going to use tonight? I'm not dead certain. <laughs> so, why don't you go first this time, Amanda? Okay. All right. Well, that's good. It's going to be short. I, I, all right. It's not. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Here we go. Every year it snows on my birthday. Drifts too dangerous for driving. I think snow knows my mother has anxiety about parties, presents, and whether or not my father has dirt on his trousers. Snow has a way of reminding us in our whisper thin skin who stands superior. I'm not afraid of snow the way I am afraid of the ocean. I know enough to follow the big rig in a blizzard, settle in close, focus on taillights, and allow the massive treads to lead me home. Wow, that's really beautiful. <laughs> I think that's really great. Um, yeah, I don't know what you're saying that it <laughs> I, I think that really went somewhere that that is amazing all right so this is my um my contribution tonight okay yeah i even i even have a title oh cool good it's called after my mother's funeral yeah. at the end of a long day of letting go after a long week of letting go i walked in the dark air as sharp as pine found myself on the shore of Lake Bancroft, looking across its surface at houses, warm and cold with and without light. They reflected in the water along with a dog skulking along the street. The world, a perfect mirror in the world of the lake. And I saw myself in that watery world and you were standing beside me, except I was a smaller me and you were a bigger you, the one that held my hand at busy intersections. I stared at liquid you as you leaned over me, as if trying to shield me from something and the night began to snow, tiny, white drops without drift up or down, side to side. They fell on us in the lake and we shifted, refocused like images on an old TV. I didn't move, just watched us together, snow falling around us, on us, you rippling and disappearing and reappearing. I just stood there, you and me, waves and falling white, two swans drifting together toward winter. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's really beautiful. Thank you. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but it's, it was what I felt. So <clears throat> anyway, um, Wow. How many times am I going to cry during this podcast? I don't know. 
I've gotten was... three. I cried when I, you know, like read the story. I cried during the, t- the discussion of the story. And now you've made me cry again. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, um, Amanda and I have still, <laughs> are still waiting um, to read some of your responses to our writing prompts. Before we're both dead and buried, <laughs> dead and buried ourselves. So please paste what you wrote in the comments to this episode, because it has to be better than what we wrote tonight. And email it to litforchristmas at gmail.com. And we will read what you wrote, what you sent to us on our next episode. Speaking of the next episode. You are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You will show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. As a spirit, ghost of the future. Oh, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. For our official November episode, which will probably come in December if it's if our track record holds, <laughs> we will be reading Oscar Huelos' novel, Mr. Ives' Christmas. Which I know is a favorite of yours. It is. And it's a, it's a Christmas tale, Amanda. It's filled with a fatal shooting Christmas Eve and um, decades-long depression. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come up with a good drink for this one that's yeah. all yeah I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to be a little more creative than like just go find the cheapest white wine that tastes like urine that you can possibly find and drink a lot of it so it, I'll put a little more effort into that yeah there you go you know but I I, I really do think that it's it's going to be perfect yes know? it sounds perfect for Thanksgiving um when you get together with all your crazy family yes so get yes. yourself a copy of Mr. Ives' Christmas um, and restock your liquor cabinet. <laughs> your invitation is already in the mail for November's slash December's Lit for Christmas <laughs> party, which will drop, hopefully, God willing, on November 24th. This is an actual novel, right? Yes, it is a novel. Okay, so I'm going to have to... I don't know if we're going to make November 24th. I'm just saying, because I have to read it. Yeah, we'll, so, we'll see. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a great book. It reads yeah. fast. So join Marty and me in a few weeks as we get lit for Christmas. Again. Again. <laughs> and you know, Amanda, I feel like a dead man walking uh, right now. You know, I'm a little brain dead myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to our little Yuletide shindig. The theme for this show is Jingle Bells Jazzy Style by Julius H. 
used courtesy of Pixabay. And the Lit for Christmas writing music is A Christmas Treat by Magic828, also used courtesy of Pixabay. All music, sounds, audio clips, and quotes in this podcast are the property of their individual copyright holders. They are used solely for the purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Tomorrow morning, drink lots of water. Go to the library and check out some Christmas books. Visit the liquor store and stock up on Christmas cheer. Your invitation is already in the mail for next month's Lit for Christmas party. The tree will be lit, and so will we. Let's keep the Christmas spirits flowing all year long.